But I mean, your past is a representation of your future, Mm -hmm. right? But your past is also not a means, nor will it define your future. Oh, absolutely. So, and I think that when on my failures and you take your failures and you, and you bring your own children into the situation, you know, where I lacked in terms of guidance and saying, you know what, I know you're not right here. You you know, you should do this or you should do that. Mm -hmm. That's where, you know, I find myself, you know, really catching my daughters and saying, Hey, this is an opportunity here for me to help you. And I'm going to give you my opinion. And whether you take it or not is up to you. But at the end of the day, I have to say this, I have to do this. Because yeah. if I don't, and you make a bad decision, that's on you. Because I'll tell you, as a parent, you, you know, your child makes a bad choice. You kind of take that responsibility, almost assuming that responsibility for them. to Dads and Deadlifts podcast with me, your host, Rich. This podcast is to raise awareness around the social stigma of the word man up. Research has shown men are less likely to seek help for trauma, abuse, neglect, addictions, and mental illness because they will be perceived as weak. Research had directly or indirectly linked these problems to the social and cultural perceptions of the word man up. It's time to start a conversation and redefine this word man up. Each week, you'll be hearing from men and women all around the world who survived emotional abuse, physical abuse, domestic violence, and addictions, and how they came out on the other side with triumph to begin a new chapter. Also, hear from experts and coaches all around the globe on matters like brain health, psychology of men and women, holistic healing, fitness, and last but not least, what it takes to be a man, overcoming the social stigma and expectations, and tap into your individual unique authenticity and vulnerability. Thank you for joining me in this mission to serve men around the world and letting them know they are not alone in this. Welcome to another episode of Dads and Deadlifts with me, your host, Rish. Today's episode's guest is Daryl Smith. Daryl is a podcaster slash a businessman. He and his wife run a photography business together. But most importantly, the reason I seeked out Daryl through Facebook, and I really loved his story, and I kind of wanted to interview him because he is one of the prime examples that this platform was created how difficult in life happens and he overcame all of it. And now he has a beautiful family, wife and two daughters. And he also coaches a business couple for a small business on their journey. So without further ado, let's welcome Daryl Smith. Hey, Daryl, how are you? Thanks for, thanks for having me, man. I'm doing well. Thanks. And how are you? Good, good, good. And I said like, you know, busy, but getting there. So... <laughs> That's good, man. Busy is, busy is good. Busy is good. Yes. Hey, so I'm going to start off with straight off the bat. Tell my listeners, you know, who Daryl Smith is. Well, I uh, am a ginger. So <laughs> there's, a, there's okay. a lot not going for me right off the get-go. <laughs> I tell my daughter, she's a ginger as well, that I said, you know, being, being right-headed is a bit of a superpower. So don't go. think to yourself for one second that uh, you're not special. So, but I am just a regular guy. Like, I mean, there's not a whole lot to me or my story as far as I'm concerned, but I'm a husband, I'm a father, 
a businessman, you know, and love sports. And life is all about being positive for me and, and staying a track, you know, considering where I've came from and kind of where we're headed. So mm-hmm. it's been a long journey. Okay. Yep. So I think like that's, that's the answer I expected because you are, you're a very humble man. So, so I kind of talked to you and let's go back to the discussions we had offline. Tell us a little bit about like, how was your childhood? How did you grow up? Because I know like you talked about like the trials that you had to face and then we'll kind of have that journey and what did you do and how uh, you overcame those to where you are at now? Well, it, it's kind of all over the place, to be honest with you. I haven't, I've also been told uh, to that I need to write a book. There's a lot of things that kind of went on in our life. There's six kids in my family. So there's kind of six different perspectives when it comes to my story and, you know, my sister's or my brother's stories. Mm. And I think everybody experiences things differently. And with that, everybody reacts and kind of deals with things on a, on a completely different spectrum than, than the next person, right? So... Mm-hmm. I grew up on a farm, a small town, six kids in the family. I'm kind of in the middle, three older brothers, or sorry, three older siblings and two and two younger siblings. And we, um, pretty simple, you know, cattle and we had, we milked cows in the morning. We did chickens and we had a huge garden and eight and a half acres of grass to cut. So, and back then wow. there was no riding lawnmower for sure. So you were out pushing around and, but I mean, it was a struggle considering it was a kind of early eighties and looking back, I can definitely see how a bit of a struggle that was and put a lot of stress on my parents throughout that whole stressful process my mother was pregnant with my youngest sister and back then they never actually used to do blood samples so now when you go in and you have a wife or a daughter or whoever sorry that's pregnant they would take blood samples and they would decide or figure out if there's any existing conditions that they should be concerned about mm-hmm. and well, at that time, they didn't have that. So my mother went in, gave birth to my little sister, and she continued to hemorrhage when she was released. And of course, after you have more multiple kids, you kind of go home a little quicker because you're you've been through it five other times. You know, it's yeah. cakewalk, right? Mm-hmm. Well, she started to hemorrhage, and basically, she had a urinary tract infection, which was discovered. So there was too many white blood cell count, uh, too many white blood cells in her body and basically her body was was rejecting her own blood and she passed away a week after my little sister was born so you know compounding from everything else you know it was add stress to a lot of different things and I mean not to make any excuses for my father but he was an abusive an abusive man you know even before my mother my mother died and we we kind of everybody took a little bit of the, the abuse to some degree and on different levels. Mm. And I mean, obviously, biasly, because I can't tell from talking to my brothers or my oldest sisters kind of who got the worst of it. But I felt that I kind of got the meat mm. of, of the abuse. I guess everybody got the strap, but I tend to get one or two more or mine are just a little bit harder. Yeah, I mean, the story kind of takes off from there. But ultimately, as a child, I had a typical childhood. I guess if you could picture it that way, if you take the abuse out of that or the, or the parents out of it, riding dirt bikes and playing tag and running through the garden and eating potatoes and peas out of the garden and grandma getting mad at you, climbing apple trees, like typical thing for me. But going through the, the death was a big, huge eye opener for me. I was about to say, so you had like two things going on there. So before we get to the other side, how did you take on how old were you again when your mother passed away? I believe I was eight. I mean, I'm pretty sure I was eight. I mean, it could have been nine. It could have been seven, but okay. I'm, I'm almost positive I was eight. And then how did you take it as eight years old? I don't know. I don't actually know 
how I was because there wasn't anybody really around that was competent enough to kind of tell me how I was doing. My aunties mm-hmm. and stuff kind of took over the role because basically my father was an absolute mess as any father would losing their wife. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it for, for us, it was business as usual. And I mean, we kind of plugged along. And, and I remember sitting on the swing after my father was, was telling everybody. And I remember getting the news. I don't even know who I got the news from. But I remember leaving my grandmother's house and sitting on the swing and thinking, how is this even possible? Like, it's, it's, un, it's unfathomable. Like, and, mm-hmm. and what, where do you go from here? Like, none of that stuff was going through an eight-year-old's head. It's, it's like, is she coming home or is she not coming home? Because I'm pretty sure they said she's not coming home. And it's kind of that, mm. it just started to kind of go down that rabbit hole. But ultimately, you, you kind of come to grips with it and, and move on, right? Wow. And uh, when your father's abuse, and this had been, as you said, like, you know, this is before your mother passed away. How were you guys like growing up post your mother passing away, basically the time that you guys have started normal life again? Did it go up? Like, did it settle down? Like, it was more of a, okay, you know, I'm just trying to understand, like, as a man, your father, did he start bonding with you guys a little bit more than before or... Good, good question. You know, before my mother had died, the abuse was always in the name of God. We all, we grew up Christian and, you know, Sunday schools and you know, going to church on Sunday and, you know, always saying prayers, you know, before you go to bed and, and before you eat supper, like that, that was it. That's kind of the life that we lived. But the abuse was always in the name of, and, you know, this is going to hurt me, then hurt you, you know, God has its path and all this bullshit. And I remember my father lining all of us up in the kitchen and we lived in a a single wide trailer on a farm and he lined us all up by age and my mother was at the end. So I'm kind of sitting somewhere in the middle and he was giving everybody the strap. And I don't remember why we were lined up in the kitchen. I can only assume that something happened that day where he was pretty upset or maybe my mother made tuna casserole two nights in the same week. Who knows? But ultimately we started to get the strap and it was something about loyalty and something about being a good servant to the Lord. And it was just this bullshit that was kind of coming down the pipe. And I remember watching my mother get the strap, like literally he's giving my mother the strap. And that's kind of where it kind of clicked for me. I'm like, this is some fucked up shit. Mm -hmm. This is some stupid, super weird stuff. And I mean, I'm like six Six, maybe seven. I I, can't, I don't even know how old. Obviously, it was before I was eight. But you're seeing this, and I'm like, man, this is weird stuff. Like, if this is God, and so that's actually kind of, if you kind of go back a little bit earlier in the story where I said I was sitting on on the swing, mm-hmm. that's kind of where I kind of started to contemplate religion. And I was like, this doesn't make any sense. My God is supposed to love me. God is supposed to have this path for me. And all of a sudden, people are dying Children are getting hurt. And at the time, obviously, you don't realize that there's pedophiles out there, some really Mm -hmm. messed up things. And all of a sudden, your mother dies. And that's kind of where I'm like, well, I don't understand. If he loves me that much, why would he take pretty much the only person that I could trust, other than like my brothers and sisters, out of my life? This doesn't make Mm -hmm. any sense. And it was just this weird, weird situation. So after my mother had died, we moved into the city. And the, the abuse, it didn't become less... I guess it became less frequent because he started to try and get different jobs at some point, Mm. but the abuse became more violent 
at that point because then at that point i don't know in, in retrospect i think he had more of a chip on his shoulder like my life sucks and can't take it out my oldest daughter because she moved away i can't take it all on my second oldest daughter because she moved away my oldest brother is like heavy into drugs so he was gone so the next person in line is well, guess what? I'm next in line for the throne and think that that's kind of where the level of abuse was kind of ramped up a little bit. So tell us a little bit about like, then what did you do once you guys moved to the city? And I remember we talked offline, like you started taking care of your sister. You basically kind of took over as a guardian, right? Yeah, to a certain degree, we, we moved into town. So we moved into, into the small town and then dad couldn't get a job or wasn't finding a proper job. And so we had moved everybody into the big city. So the big city would be consisting of 30 or 40,000 people or more. That's kind of when we started to separate, I guess, if you will, because my mm. father would, he worked in the oil field and he was gone for like months at a time, if, you know, few two, three weeks at minimum. And then sometimes it was months at a time. You're left there with your my oldest sister used to kind of come back and visit every and, and stay with us from time to time. And I think she moved in with us while my dad was doing that. Um, but she had her own marriage. She had her own family. Like she couldn't be there taking care of us and, and rightfully so. And right. so basically when she left, it was kind of my littlest sister went with her. Now I was stuck with my oldest brother, heavy into drugs. And then my youngest brother, who was three years younger than me, just still kind of figuring it all out at that point. When we moved into town, my father was gone a lot. And that's kind of when it started to become, okay, well, now you need to be independent. Now you need to be able to, you have to be able to think because there's nobody else going to do it for you. The thought of, well, let's go deal drugs or let's go steal shit was never in our vocabulary. I mean, we grew up in a town where that was prevalent enough that, mm. you know, we were being stolen from and it just kind of it almost instilled in us early that it's not an avenue that we're interested in going down. Mm-hmm. I would steal out of necessity rather than stealing out of fun, I guess, if you will. But when my father was gone, there was no money coming in. He wouldn't send any money home. And if he did, it was to pay the bills. Like, But it was really, really, it was super odd. I don't even remember actually how we actually got money because there was a whole pile of other issues there. But when I would get up in the morning and my oldest brother would just, we wouldn't go to school. He was too busy doing his thing. So I would get up, make my little brother uh, lunch or sorry, yeah, his lunch. And I would make kind of my thing and we would go. But there wasn't much food around. So basically it was either hamburger helper or uh, shreddies. That was pretty much what you had an option at. So hamburger helper was poor man's hamburger helper. It was just ground beef with craft dinner. And it was pretty much, you can be sustainable, like surprisingly, you can be sustainable mm-hmm. on a hamburger and craft dinner as long as you can kind of add your fat and all your other vitamins in there as well. But it's actually funny on a side note, craft dinner is actually used to cure gout, which is, you know, they call the rich man's disease, right? Because mm-hmm. it's all high protein, high fat, high rich, very rich kind of nutrients. So it's kind of funny because we never really had any health issues, I guess, if you will. But I sent um, my little brother to school. I'd kind of go off into school myself. And I think that was junior high, six, seven, grade six, seven, and eight. Because I think mm-hmm. grade nine, we moved into the high school. But I remember in that time, you kind of start to kind of figure your way out. Because at that point, you know, you don't have the option to go to your friend's house. Because you have to be home to make your brother dinner. And yes. there's some responsibilities there that you have to kind of maintain. So kind of did what we could, you know, and and we kind of fended for ourselves to a certain degree. But eventually my father would come home and, you know, the grass wouldn't be cut or, you know, the kitchen's a mess. And I mean, I don't know any 12, 10 or 12 year old who loves to do dishes. So at the end of the day, just keep piling them up and away you go. But Mm -hmm. 
basically consisted of come home and it would be a mess and he would beat the shit out of me and then you kind of move on and that cyclical trend like that cyclical thing would happen over and over and over and i remember my oldest we were sitting in a room because we had broke the window playing grass hockey in the backyard Mm. we broke the window and so my father came us in and he disciplined us rightfully so and i just remember looking at him and i'm like the window was already broken and it wasn't broken by us it was kind of more broken not to say that's that's an excuse but i remember him giving my brother the strap and of course as soon as he got the strap it was like bloody murder right you'd think he'd stabbed him a hundred times and Mm -hmm. he's crying and rolling around the floor please stop please stop and i remember him turning to me and he and he gave me the strap on my hand and i caught the strap and the strap that we had it was a combine it was a piece of a combine belt it was about i don't know two and a half feet long and he still had a bit of the staples and stuff on in the one end of it. And I remember catching it. And he looked at me and he's like, he's like, oh, you think you're a man, eh? And I said, well, I, was, I looked around and I'm like, yeah. And he's like, okay, well, men pay bills. So if you want to live here, you pay your bills or you can fuck right off. So I said, okay. And I got in my shit and I fucking left. But I always go to school and, and you kind of trying to help out your little brother and, and kind of through that process. And I found out I didn't get very far, you know, trying to live on my own at 10 or 12 mm-hmm. or whatever it was. So you kind of come back home, please, you know, poor me, sorry about that. My bad. Yes, dad. Yes, sir. No, sir. Type of thing. And then it just kind of, that's kind of when I clicked for me, like, okay, I need to be able to manipulate my father so that I can be here and live for relatively free and get to a point in my life where I can go. That's basically kind of what the game plan was. So throughout that point, I would go to school and we would kind of make do with what we had. And so we were kind of running out of running out of food. So I would give my little brother his stuff, like his lunch, and I'd go to school. And I started to get like my huge migraines. My stomach was like super, super like turning inside out. It felt like mm-hmm. excruciating pain. And so basically I, I knew I was hungry. I didn't know that that was obviously related, but I just knew I was hungry. And then when I ate, it cured a lot of my issues. So I would wait for intramurals to happen during the afternoon. So all the kids in the gym and they play floor hockey and basketball or whatever. I would filter my way in through the back door or the kind of the side door of the cafeteria. And I would go through the, tra- the trash cans and I would eat whatever the leftover food was. So that would I could satisfy my body's need for whatever it was needing so that I could be able to focus in school. So I'm able to at least continue that side of my life as well. And I got away with it for quite a while until I got caught by one of the teachers. And I mean, it's hilarious because you think about it now, if a child was caught eating out of the garbage can and then understanding the reasons why, like child services was called, like, I mean, mm-hmm. man, people are going to jail, like people are going to jail. And mm-hmm. at the time he was just like, this is the situation. So he helped me out and he got me a job at the cafeteria. So when I would work at the cafeteria, obviously my payment was food. So that's kind of how I started to kind of stay on track. And, and I was able to still, you know, maintain some sort of mindset to continue my education. Crazy. Wow. I mean, I can go on for hours, man. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's unreal. So then, uh, then you graduated high school. Mm. So this is, this is how you continued. No, I never graduated. Mm. Never graduated high school. High school is a whole different ball game. I mean, when I finally moved out, 14 years old, I lied on a an application for an apartment. Mm. Uh, I pretended I was my older brother. My older brother would have been 17 at the time, and he pretended he was 18. But he was out of it. That man, he's done copious amounts of drugs. Like he did your share, he did my share, he did wow. your buddy's share. Like it was crazy. He used to take acid. I mean, looking back at it now, but 
he used to take acid, put it in his hand with food coloring, and then he would put the and then he would put the the acid, whether it be purple, blue, yellow, whatever, into his eye. So then his eye would turn the same color as the food coloring, and then he would get high at the same time. Like it was fucking messed up, man. Like some of the shit they came up with, this was crazy. <laughs> But we basically, um, we went and, you know, got ourselves in a little apartment. We brought my little brother along, like, with us, and he eventually went, and we couldn't take care of him, obviously, so that he, so then all of a sudden he went out to my uncle's, and he went on his own way. So then, you, you decided to, at 14, you said, you decided to mm-hmm. finally, like, you had enough resources that you can survive on your own to decide, kind of, break out from your father? Yeah. I mean, resources, I had the ability to manipulate people to a certain Mm -hmm. degree to make them believe that I was someone else. And I use that term obviously for good, if you will, because I use that to say, well, I'm I'm 16 and I got a job, right? Or I was 15 and Mm -hmm. I got a job because you couldn't hire somebody at 14. It had to be 15. And it was just kind of those kind of little ins and outs of, like I said, I the, the manipulation side of it. But mm-hmm. as I kind of went into high school, I had three jobs. So what I would do is I would go to school in the morning and then I would leave in the afternoon and I would go do my job. And I remember the principal calling me into his office. He's like, listen, you know, you've missed a lot of, a lot of school. You're always taking off in the afternoon. Does your dad know you're missing, missing, you're cutting school? And I'm like, probably not. And he's like, oh yeah, well I tried to call him and I can't get a hold of him because uh, you know, we're basically, we're going to either suspend you or expel you, but you need to show up for school and your dad needs to deal with this. It's okay. Well, when you call him and if you get a hold of him, you let him know that I'm looking for him as well. Because at, at that time, he, that was kind of when the internet just kind of rolled into everyone's life and he had found a girlfriend in California. So he backed his shit and he left. So everyone was kind of just sitting there, you know, and in, to kick everybody else in the ass, from what I understand, he, the payout that he had gotten from the government based on, because my my mother was a nurse. Mm-hmm. So when she got her payout, pretty much it was gone. Like he had taken it and, and he fucked off. So I said, you know, when you have a minute and you do find him, let him know I'm looking for him. And he kind of said, well, I said he left a long time ago, man. So the principal looked at me and again, different time, very different times back then. Mm. he's like hey well you either need to go to school or you need to like uh, but you need to come to school i'm like listen man if i come to school full time i can't pay my bills so i have to leave at noon to go do my jobs and he's like hey well it's either work or it's school i'm like well then i guess he left me no choice so he actually gave me a ride to my job and then i was and i think that was grade 10 wow Nowadays, like at least I think there will be more help, like on the resources side, like, you know, if, if that thing happened, I could only imagine nowadays a school principal and everyone will get involved and actually make something happen so that someone graduates. I hope so. I mean, yeah. I mean, as far as I know that that's kind of what the support that they would, you know, they would provide, but yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I hope there isn't kids going through that right now because if there is, yeah, people should be going to jail. Yeah, for sure. So then... Wow. So kind of like then you took off from there. Well, yeah. And it was, it's kind of, it forced me to be very resourceful. It forced Mm. me to be very frugal with my money. Although, Mm. you know, obviously I have, I was very naive to think that money grew on trees because when you're young and I mean, you get a, you get an $800 paycheck and you're 15, you're like, man, I'm fucking rich. Yeah. It's like, this is this, I'm loaded. So 
But I mean, I was the only kid in my age group that actually had a job like that or money coming in. But mm-hmm. it's, it's uh, I mean, the sacrifice to all of this is that I lost the ability to really understand what is right and what is wrong in certain situations. And I mean, my first marriage was a representation of that is, you know, I don't know if you've ever gone through a relationship, you know, when you're younger, or even if some of your listeners have had you've been in a marriage and you get in an argument with your spouse and you kind of go to your dad or your mom and like, oh yeah, she's being a cow and won't let me do this or I want to go and do that and why can't I go play hockey with my friends and yeah. on Tuesday night and your parent kind of pulls you back and say like, look man, like they, they kind of point you in the right direction. You know, maybe you've already played hockey twice this week. You don't need to go another one. I mean, you kind of acting like an asshole. Yeah. You should probably apologize. That's not a way to act. You're not being a very good husband. Like they're pointing you in the right direction. They're, they're getting mm-hmm. you back on track. And I mean, there's that famous saying where up until five years old, you're teaching your kids how to read. And then after that, it's teaching them to read so that they can learn. And after five, it's like they're learning how to read. So if you didn't do a very good job up until they're five years old, after that, they're going to struggle. So you have to be able to point them in the right direction and get them on their their feet. Because after a certain point, then they're just taking it on their own. They're they're the one that has the sail up and they have to be able to manage that. Yeah. And I think that I had some huge failures that I, I didn't know what to do in certain times. And I think my temper and my attitude at that point you know, got in the way of making good decisions. And I mean, Aristotle said it best. I'm like, you are you what you repeatedly yeah. do, right? right. Yeah. So, so excellence ought to be a habit and not an act. So, yeah. No, I agree. And I think like that's, well, I mean, like I, I, I felt the same thing. I mean, although um, I would say I had a pretty a good childhood, uh, but at the same time, I think I was also not equipped with a lot of communication tools myself because mine was the, exactly the opposite way. Like I was shielded from a lot of stuff. So when I actually, it was time for me to go, go out and explore, I found myself like, hold on a minute, how do I manage these situations? Mm-hmm. So it was a completely different scenario for me. And then by default, I think like it was just a lot of learning, a lot of growing, a lot of seeing and experiencing things and changing it. But I, I did the same thing like you and how I handle, you know, situations before. But I mean, your past is a representation of your future. Mm-hmm. Right. But your past is also not a means, nor will it define your future. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. And I think that when on my failures and you take your failures and you and you bring your own children into the situation, you know, where I lacked in terms of guidance and saying, you know what, I know you're not right here. Or you, sh- you know, you should do this or you should do that. Mm-hmm. That's where, you know, I find myself you know, really catching my daughters and saying, hey, this is an opportunity here for me to help you. And I'm going to give you my opinion. And whether you take it or not is up to you. But at the end of the day, I have to say this. I have to do this. Because yeah. if I don't, and you make a bad decision, that's on you. Because I'll tell you, as a parent, you, you know, your child makes a bad choice. You kind of take that responsibility, almost assuming that responsibility for them. I don't know, maybe, I, but then again, I don't know. I have no baseline. Like I, I'm in, I don't know who else out there. Do they do that? Do they not do that? Who knows? I've actually never, that's a good yeah. question. I should ask some of my clients then. <laughs> I think like, you know, I feel like that's a really deep question because I think it depends on person to person. I know, I remember like growing up, my, my parents, like they were very vocal and my dad would deal with certain things very different, differently, communicate with me versus my mom would be very like, um, I'm telling you this, this is it. <laughs> There's no issue. Yeah, there's, there's, it's it. black and white with mom. That's it. And <laughs> a dad would be like, okay, listen, uh, this, if you do this, this can happen. If you do that, that will happen. So 
That's important, though. I, th- yes. I think that that's important. And, and I mean, it, yeah. and even going through divorce, especially when you have children, one of the things that they tell you or they, they help you kind of understand is mm. that it's okay to have two separate sets of rules. Like in mom's house, it's very different than it is going to be at dad's house. Yeah. So, for instance, when our girls are with us, I'll go outside and I'm fencing or I'm working out on the farm and I'm doing whatever. And one of my girls decide that they want to come help. And they know that when they're with me, they can swear, they, they can act a, a way that is not typical for them. Right. But I mean, it's not like, it's not like they're out there just swearing up just for the sake of swearing. I'm like, so, right. you know, if you're hitting with a hammer and it happened to hit your nail and you go, fuck, yeah. I said, that's okay. I'm not going to get mad at you for doing that. However, when we go in the house or mom comes around, big, big difference, right? You know, you have to know when to turn it on and you have to know when to turn it off. Yeah. And I said to him, I said, you will eventually kind of put that into practice when you get older. And I said, you're going to have lots of slip ups between now and then, but there's going to come a time in your, in your life where mine or like mine, I remember walking into my, my auntie's house and I was yelling at, I was saying dad and it was around Christmas time. So there's lots of dads and there's lots of aunties in the, in the house. And I'm like, dad, 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 nobody answers. And I'm like, Vern, and my auntie's head just on a swivel and she looks at me and, her, and she's from Quebec. So she is uh, very, uh, it's very matter of fact. And she oh, come okay. over and she grabbed my ear and yanked me right down. And she's like, if I ever hear you call your father by his first name again, I will kill you. And I, that was the last time I called anybody, but any, any adult by their first name. It was always auntie, uncle. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Oh boy. <laughs> that was a fun story. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. So here's the thing. Like, so now you're a successful, you have a successful business with your wife. How did this whole situation, like your life, I know there's a lot in it, layers and layers and layers. I understand that. But if you have to kind of summarize it, like how did you work on this with your wife and building a successful business? And I know you guys are also coaching people, couples Mm -hmm. who start their business on the communication. So it's funny because you didn't have that. So of course you learned something, right? And you turned it around and actually now helping. Well, you know, it, it's funny you say that because like even still now, like my communication isn't, isn't good. One of the things that we have to offer is that, you know, between my wife and I's childhoods, the way she was brought up, she was brought up in a home that was from divorce. And I was from like my background, like with my childhood. And then being a, a parent or a husband of divorce, like there's no way that you can't stop and take a step back to really assess the situation and say, okay, mm-hmm. is this all my fault? Is this all her fault? You know, do I have some blame to bear? And I mean, wisdom comes to you in some of the most unlikely sources. And most of the time it comes through failure. And my divorce was the failure and not understanding my capabilities of what I'm good at, what I'm not good at it. And I realized is that I, I kind of felt like I hit rock bottom. Like I mm-hmm. felt that this was it. Like my life is kind of over. I was never suicidal or nothing, but it was kind of like, how am I going to recover from this? Like this is a huge, huge deal. Mm-hmm. I started to realize that rock bottom is an amazing place, yeah. right? And an amazing foundation to which I can build my next life on. And it's yeah. like, I got a second chance. So, and I wasn't worried about that. I wasn't going to be successful because I was an athlete. I played baseball down in Florida. Like, you know, you have that competitive advantage and that the ability to think on your feet. I was more worried that I wouldn't fail time to time because through that failure is when you start to gain your wisdom. Mm-hmm. And my first marriage was a huge failure. And I mean, I'll, I'll take as much blame as somebody wants to put on me. I mean, absolutely. I wasn't perfect at all. 
Mm-hmm. But I'm not sitting here telling you that, oh, I was perfect. Like it, there's some, you have to be able to learn to accept Absolutely. that. Yeah. And, and I mean, if you can't keep getting off, uh, picking yourself up and dusting yourself off. And I say that to a lot of our clients, as I said, your ability to go through all of that and then pick yourself up, dust yourself off. That's the person I want to be involved with. That's the person mm-hmm. I want to be in business with, because that's where your influence is going to be have the most growth. If you've never gone through failures or if you've never been able to learn from your failures, then you're never going to grow. And that's one of the things I even tell our, we ask the kids when we're sitting at the dinner table once or twice a week, I'll ask them, Hey, how was your guys' week? You know, what did you guys do? What did you guys do well? And they say, Oh, I did this. I did that. And I'm like, Hey, well, what, what did you fail at this week? Mm. What do you mean? Uh, Well, what did you fail at? Did you, you know, did you try and learn a bike this week, you know, when they were younger or two, did you fail at, you know, making a new friend in school? Like, what did you fail at? Tell me something, tell me something you failed at. Well, I didn't fail at anything. Like, well, then you're not trying hard enough because if you're not trying hard enough, that means life is easy. Well, I can tell you life is a very, (laughs) is a very vicious, vicious world. And it has no remorse for you or anybody else. And you have to be able to fail because you have to be able to learn from those failures. Yeah, no, I agree. That's basically what I absolutely believe in with my life, the way it went. And uh, I think like through failure, you actually find, I found my purpose every time I actually had one of those moments. So currently you guys have a business and Mm -hmm. you guys help clients to what I understand, like you guys help clients launch and like not launch, like actually communicate better as a couple when they're together and try to understand like the dynamics of being a couple and a business partner. Is that the right way to say it? So basically we specialize in entrepreneurial couples. If you are in business and I mean, that's kind of where we specialize and we have people that are single that are having troubles with their business side and they ask us for advice on in terms of marketing or accounting issues or like, a lot of a lot of other kind of business related things, but we kind of specialize with the couple side because my wife adds a piece, I add my piece, and mm-hmm. and together is kind of what allows them to see. Okay, I'm almost like that fatherly figure. We're like, hey, you know what? I think you need to go back to the table with that one, or I think you should stop bringing that up because it's obviously a touchy subject for. Her. And you know, we need we need to get you past this because obviously you're just treading water. And once we've dealt with the kind of the the couple side of that and understanding that the dynamic of being a couple and being in business is is a huge, huge, huge piece to the success of your business. Mm-hmm. And once we've nailed that down, then we move on to the business platform and understanding, you know, what they do. And then at that point we can help them develop their business to fit their lifestyle. And because there's a lot of people out there that I have this great idea and I'm too afraid to get into business with my husband and we don't know where to start. One of the things that a lot of the advice that we had given people on some of the other podcasts that we're on is that we always say, listen, you have to understand who takes lead, who's in charge. And you as a couple, whoever the other person is, who's not in charge has to be okay with that. And if you're not okay with taking a back seat and your wife is telling you that this is how she wants something done, and you have a problem with that, you need to tell her that. Because yeah. if you just sit there and you have all this pent up contempt in your, inside you, at some point, it's going to come boiling over and it's always going to be at the most inopportune time. You got to be honest with each other and we kind of, and they kind of move on. So that's kind of what we do, kind of help people deal with business and relationships mm. so that it works for them. Okay. Awesome. And then how long have you guys been doing this? 
Oh, well, I mean, officially, we started that this year, but we've kind of always been doing it for the last four, four or five years. We just weren't charging people for it. And then we got yeah. to a point where we we're like, okay, maybe we should be charging people for this. <laughs> right. So it's kind of come full circle, even with businesses, you tend to kind of start things off and you give them this freebie away, given that freebie yeah. away, and you figured out your demographic and kind of what you want to what you want to hone in on. And, and this one kind of, this one found us. We didn't find it. This one okay. found us. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. This had been an awesome, awesome episode, uh, Daryl, because I kind of just wanted to shed a light on your journey and how your journey had been and now where you are. And it's still a journey. I know, mm. uh, you know, and because of some of my listeners are maybe going through stuff that you had been through, and I don't know if you remember, like the whole podcast is about like, it's a platform for men to understand like they're not alone, you know, and uh, it's, there's people who went through this and they have managed to come out on the other side. They don't have, oh, absolutely. To, they don't have to feel this is the end of the world. Right? No, because I, I, I'll tell you, it's even in marriage. And then we tell our, our clients this, I mean, if you think that your, your marriage or your life is so far gone that you want to commit suicide or you want to go get divorced or you want to just throw everything away and go do something f- foolish. I mean, it's nothing is ever too late. Nothing. Right. And I mean, you know, pride is the burden of a foolish person. And I mean, so you need to be able to take that pride, put it in your back pocket and move on because yeah. it, it's going to kill you every time. Wow, what a powerful way to end it. So, yeah, no, I I think about your story and some of the people I've interviewed, there's such a, and I already know it through my journey, and there's always that common theme is basically taking that pain and actually learning from it mm-hmm. and turning it around instead of just letting it go to waste. We tell all of our clients you need to focus on that 10%. Yeah. 90% of the shit that you're worried about doesn't matter. Right. Just worry about the 10% that you can control yeah, and then move on from there. Because if you're worried about something that you have no control over, you're worried about some what someone's going to say to you or say about you on social media, why? Stop. It yeah. doesn't matter because you can't control that. What you can control is how you react to that. What you right. can control is how you respond to that. And what you can control is how you treat them. I said, yeah. because you kill, I mean, there's that famous saying, you get more, more bees with honey than you do with vinegar, oh, yeah. with vinegar, right? Yeah. So, and it's such a powerful thing to use because I'll tell you, we've gone through a lot of bullshit here with, uh, you know, with some of our business, uh, that, that we've had in the past and people were not, a, not a fan. Like they, like neighbors had issues and, and at the end of the day, you know, we could respond and be upset and be violent and, and, and kind of move on with that. But we just kill them with kindness. Man, does that just, it kind of, it just, it almost kills them even more. Yeah, right. And they can't even get upset with you. I just, you just smile, say hi, even if they hate your guts and you know it. Yeah. How are you? How's your family? How's your mom? It just drives them fucking crazy. (laughs) So, Daryl, what would be one last message if you have to share with my audience today? Oh, actually, there was a quote that I had heard a few years back, it was his ego is the anesthesia that deadens the pain of stupidity. And if you have, like I said, that ego and that pride that, that just kind of eats at you. I mean, man, if you think you're better than the next person, I'll tell you something right now, you're not. And I even tell my kids, 
even my sister at the time when she was a teenager, she came home from school and, and she was living with, that was the, the littlest in my family. Mm. And she had come home and she was crying. She got suspended for the day. And I'm like, what are you doing home? And she said, well, I got suspended. And it was because she, she was making kind of a fuss at, at school. And I'm like, what are you making a big fuss about? Well, it was our mother's the anniversary of our mother's death. And I'm like, that happened 14 years ago. I'm like, if you think for one second that anybody has any remorse for you and, and wants to pause their entire life because your mom died 14 years ago, mm. you got another thing coming. So take your ego, put it in your back pocket and deal with it like an adult because mm -hmm. that's what you have to do. And you have to be able to deal with that stuff. So take that ego, keep it in check, take your pride, put it in the back pocket because I'll tell you, Pride and ego is the burden of a foolish person. Wow. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Now that's, that's definitely needed. It's funny because I always end my podcast, all, all my episodes with a book that I read or I'm reading currently mm -hmm. and I read a quote. So I actually, it's funny. I actually already selected a, a quote for this episode and it's funny. Nice. Actually conversation uh, went there. So before I end, do that. So there's always a surprise question for my guests. Okay. So here's your question. What's the word man up means to you? Man up? Mm -hmm. It means that if your daughter wants you to sit down and have tea with Barbie, you put the hat on, you put the skirt on, and you sit down and you spend the time to have the tea with Barbie. Because oh, that's the time where your daughter needs you the most. And it could be the same thing as your son. If your son wants mm -hmm. to hammer two pieces of nails together or sorry, wood together. I mean, when your kids are asking for your time, that is something that you can't get back. You can yeah. always buy more stuff. You can always go and do things. You can always make more money. There's always a second mm -hmm. job or something to do, but you can't buy time. It's invaluable. Wow. No, that's amazing. Amazing. That's, that's basically kind of something that I am I'm, uh, focusing on that these episodes too is um, how shallow these words are and people are taking it in a different way nowadays mm -hmm. that, oh, we have to be strong and we cannot show our emotions and we have, to, we cannot be vulnerable. So it's just beautiful. Well, yeah, like, like vulnerability, that's a, that, that's a great word because that's ultimately what man up is, is, is being vulnerable. That, that's what the whole thing is, whether you're putting yourself into a position that, that might get you in trouble or a hurt or in a scary situation. Your, your vulnerability is what kind of what defines you as a man. Right. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Daryl. I'm going to end this episode with a quote from one of the books that I read this year. And actually, the book is called Ego is the Enemy <laughs> by Ryan Holiday. Nice. It says, um, the chapter actually is called, For Everything That Comes Next, Ego is the Enemy. And the piece, the paragraph that I want to read is, as Harold Jenin put it, People learn from their failures. Seldom do they learn from anything from success. It's why the old Celtic saying tells us, see much, study much, suffer much. That is the path to wisdom. What you face right now should and can be such a path. Wisdom or ignorance. Ego is a swing boat. So, That's great. Yes. And which book is that? Uh, it's called Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday. Ego is the enemy. Yeah, he's one of my favorite authors. He's, he's, he's really good. Uh, he has two books that's in my, sh uh, like, you know, Arsenal all the time. Ego is the enemy and Obstacle is the way. So Nice. Yeah. 
Well, thank you, Daryl, for stopping by, chatting with us, and sharing your story. Before we go, tell the listeners where they can find you, website, social media. So you can you can head over to our website at www.wgtpodcast.com. That has uh, a lot of our a lot of all from all of our episodes and stuff, but we also have it on any any of your favorite streaming platforms that are on there as well. And uh, you can see us on Facebook at uh, I think it's WG. We got this podcast or WG. Well, and anyway, it's the We Got This Podcast yeah. and uh, Instagram, same thing. W uh, W We Got This Podcast. It's uh, we're we're pretty much everywhere. I don't do Twitter. I think Twitter is such a yeah such a nasty <laughs> nasty place to Me be. <laughs> I mean. I, I use it for entertainment, I guess, if you will. It's right. that mindless entertainment. Is, yeah. But we stick to social media on Instagram and Facebook, and we find some uh, good people and some good success there. Awesome. Thank you so much, Daryl. Really uh, nice chatting with you. So go and take a look at the website and the link that will be posted on my social media and on my podcast link with Daryl. So end of another episode. Hopefully you guys learned and took some nuggets with you and your host Rish signing off until another episode next week. Thanks for listening to another episode of Dads and Deadlifts. And I hope you are as excited as I am learning from our guest today on the specific topic. Please subscribe, share, and leave a comment and tag Dads and Deadlifts on Instagram and Facebook with your experience of today's episode. Because remember, your one share might save someone from feeling alone and provide them the tools they can incorporate in their daily lives. Let's each of us do our part in helping men around the world. You can personally message me on my Facebook page or Instagram page, Dads and Deadlifts, if you want your story to be shared on the podcast, or if you just feel alone and want someone to reach out to. Always remember, you are not alone. All you got to do is reach out, and I am rooting for you. Until next week, your host Rish signing off. I will see you next week with another brand new episode. 